God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river where streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fail. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. But he lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So um, you're currently going through a series on the Psalms. Now I had a choice today uh, of two Psalms of thanksgiving, either um, Psalm 46 or Psalm um, 107, and both are great, but I chose Psalm 46 with 11 verses as opposed to Psalm 107 with 43 verses as I didn't want to be responsible for any burnt dinners. Now both are strong Psalms of thanksgiving. I've seen the preaching plan for the current um, eight weeks or so, and whoever put it together knew their stuff. Let me explain why. The Psalms have a bit of a reputation for praising God all the time, but truth be told, nothing could really be further from the truth. I've never counted how many, but it wouldn't surprise me if these Thanksgiving-type psalms make up less than half of them. I don't know. That's why I think you've already looked at psalms which are more to do with teaching, confession, law, lament, and I think the prophecy might be next week. Yes, the psalms cover everything. That's why they have a bit of a nickname. They're known as the Bible within the Bible, which is a pretty good summary to my mind. There's everything in there, the good, the bad, and the ugly. A couple of years ago, I was asked in Romsey to preach on Psalm 88. Now, Psalm 88 isn't one of those go-to psalms, like, like Psalm 23 and some others, and it wouldn't have been my choice, but I'm glad I did, as, if I remember, it contained 19 complaints. And what's more, they were all good points, if I can put it that way. It wasn't just the writer having a bad day. At home in Romsey, every year we have a, what's called a Gospel Gems um, calendar um, on the wall and we read the verse um, every day and quite often they're from the Psalms and quite often they are um, uplifting verses. But truth be told, I think they're, they're um, fairly carefully selected and they don't give a 
true reflection of what the Psalms are like. That's why I like the Psalms. They don't gild the lily. They're an honest account of what goes on. In fact, in some of them, the writers say and think things aloud, which probably um, aren't right. And these Psalms are still just as inspired as the rest of the Bible. And I, for one, am glad that they're included, as my life, my Christian life, certainly isn't one of 24-7 thanksgiving. It's a, the Bible is an honest account of what's been going on, not a, a sanitised version of life, but for nice people. But today, though, we are looking at the psalm of thanksgiving. And Psalm 46, as you are well aware already, contains a very well-known verse. That's going to be our key verse for this morning. In verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. And that's going to give a better foundation for what we're looking at today. Why can we give thanks to God? Because we can be still and know that he is God. But that's easy to say, what does it mean? As I mentioned a few minutes earlier, um, the greatest stillness I've ever probably experienced was on that day in November 2018, with such a lot going on. We weren't very near the royal family because there are so many people there. Um, but it was still a memorable experience. And listening to your ideas as well, they're just brilliant. Now, I'm sure I'm not alone in finding it difficult to be still. I'm a busy person, very busy. And if we're moving in a few weeks' time, I'll be even busier. And I guess most of you are, are busy too. But if I've learned one thing from the Bible, is it doesn't waste its time asking us to do the impossible. If it's there, it's there for a reason. If I lived a monastic life, which I don't, I hasten to add, a simple life, then perhaps I imagine that it might be easier to, to, to be still and know that God is God. But the trouble is, I don't. I live a full life in a busy world, growing family, demands on my time here, there and everywhere. So, is this verse inviting us to lead such a monastic life? Let's see, shall we? The first thing I did was look at it in the context of the whole of the psalm. And in fact, I didn't know what Richard was going to say at the beginning, but he already hit the nail on the head with, with his, his introduction. And in verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble or as the authorised version hath it, uh, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In fact, looking at the language of the psalm, I made a list of some of the, the words. Listen to this. Protection, strength, afraid, uproar, earth shakes, mountains fall, oceans roar and foam, raging sea, shaken wars defender. So bang goes my idea straight away that this verse is trying to encourage us to live a monastic life, away from the busyness of the world. And I think this is entirely in keeping with the rest of the Bible. And this phrase, be still, in some translations, um, is translated as cease striving or stop striving. But what does it mean? 
you might remember the passage in Luke, which features Mary and Martha. Martha, you'll recall, was busy, busy, busy. Mary, what did she do? She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. Isn't that an early um, lesson for us all? I'm now going to suggest three reasons, very straightforward reasons, based on Psalm 46, why we can worship God with thanksgiving. Firstly, in verses 1 to 3, be still and know him as a refuge. We talked earlier, didn't we, about bolt holes. It's good to have bolt holes. As I said, I'm fortunate I've got lots of things on. Not, of course, that I never need them to escape from the rigours of married life, I hasten to add. Um, but it's good to have a bolt hole. There's no sin in having somewhere to go. I think it's good for our, our mental health to have such things. For some it might be social media or walking the dog. That came up earlier. Hobby, good, good book, etc. Not, nothing wrong with these things. For me, I need regular fresh air for good mental health. <clears throat> but when everything hits the fan, then we perhaps need something better, something stronger, something more long-lasting. And where better to go than verse 1? God is our refuge. Refuges are good. We can worship God with thanksgiving because he is our refuge. In the trenches of World War I, the powers that be understood the importance of a refuge and small, well-fortified areas were built away from the trenches. Refuges are important. Even nowadays with our uh, smart motorways, M3 and M27, for me, refuges are built by the side of the carriageway, as there's no hard shoulder, so that stranded motorists have a safe place to go when things go wrong. Where do we go when things go wrong? To God, our refuge. And to go back to the motorway idea, every refuge is within sight of a safety camera. A control room somewhere can see you there at all times and maybe talk to you, I don't know, I've never, never used one. It's the same with God. Even if we're battle-scarred and temporarily withdrawing from the fight and seeking refuge, God will still be there. As it says in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength. It's no sin to seek refuge. I don't know everybody here, but I'd be willing to bet that some of you are in that refuge today or you need to be. Life, perhaps, has been grim. You're battle-scarred, and despite being a Christian, you just need a break. I've been there, I know what it's like. Maybe you've got responsibilities at Wilton Baptist, but perhaps you need a break from them. But John, maybe we're already short-staffed, you'll be saying. You can't encourage people to take a step back. Yes, I can, if that's the right thing to do. Taking refuge in God might be just what you need in order to come back stronger in due course, in a different or, or the same role. God is our refuge and strength. Refuges are good things. They make us stronger. 
the first reason why we can worship God with thanksgiving. The second reason, in verses uh, 4 to 7, be still and know him as a river. Now, I've done a bit of research on the background of this psalm and it's quite interesting. And Please don't think that I knew what I'm about to say until this week. I didn't. I want to read verse 4 to you. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. Jerusalem is known as the city of God. That's the only thing which I knew about what I'm just about to say. Jerusalem's um, only supply of fresh water used to come from a spring known as the spring of, I'm not even sure how to pronounce it, Gihon or Gihon, someone will tell me later. This spring formed a river which flowed into Jerusalem. But the trouble was that this river was very exposed and therefore uh, vulnerable to enemy attack. Block or, or poison the river and an enemy would defeat you in no time at all. Hundreds of years before this, in the Old Testament, a man called Hezekiah, and there's 150 references to him in the Bible, so why he doesn't get more kudos, I just don't know. Anyway, Hezekiah diverted this river into an underground channel, but called a conduit, which was 1,777 feet long and carved out of solid rock, and it went into a reservoir known as either... Hezekiah's Pool or the Pool of Siloam. It's the same thing. Uh, it was, and that was inside the Jerusalem city's wall and it's still there to this day. Not only that, but Hezekiah then completely covered the ancient spring so that the enemies would not know it was there. So in due course, when Jerusalem was under siege, there was still a source of fresh water for its inhabitants to use and therefore they could survive the siege. And this is mentioned several times in the Old Testament. I'm just going to read one of them. I'm going to read 2 Kings 20, verse 20, which says, As for the other events of Hezekiah's reign, all his achievements, and how he made the pool and the tunnel by which he brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? As an aside, the Bible is a uh, reliable source of historical information. Now, if I read verse 4 again, it makes more sense. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, a holy place where the Most High dwells. My friend Vic, who does my PowerPoints for me, um, this, this, I imagine he got it off Google, um, but these are a couple of photographs um, taken um, probably from Google of what it looks like nowadays. It really is quite a feat of engineering. 1,777 feet, by the way. Um, and this verse now becomes a powerful image to my mind. On Tuesday at the house group that we go to, I mentioned that I was um, you were here this morning, what I'd be doing, and a lady in the group called Claire, she said, oh, John, I've been there. Apparently, it's a tourist attraction. You can walk through it nowadays. And for all I know, people here might, might have walked, walked through there. I'd be fascinated to know what it looks like um, when you're there. This tunnel 
Hezekiah Tunnel was built in a time of peace. It was, it was hard work, no power tools, of course, in those days. And the men who made it approached from both ends and met in the middle. It reminds me of the Channel Tunnel, really. And 140 years ago, in 1880, they found an inscription set into the side of the tunnel which described how it was built with axes and describing the day they met. It was hard work, all right, but worth it in the end. Isn't this like the Christian life? When life is pretty straightforward, and there's no sin in that, we don't always have to be in a crisis. It's good to have firm foundations, or build our tunnel, I should say, so that when life does become more difficult, or we feel under siege, we are better prepared. It's no surprise then that in the New Testament, Jesus called himself the living water. When life is tough, we can then draw on the water for our resources. We can then be still and know that God is God, because we know that the source is still there, that our needs are met. If Hezekiah's team had not dug this tunnel in a time of peace before the siege, then I think they would have had a risky and dangerous journey to fetch water, and I suppose many of them wouldn't have made it. Some people turn their backs on Christ when problems come along. I'm not trying to belittle anybody's problems. They are real and challenging. But if we have a firm foundation, then we are more likely to survive the, the problems. If we build our, our survival tunnel in routine times, then we are more likely to be able to cope with the more difficult times. Hezekiah built this tunnel in a time of peace, preparing for more difficult times so too should we, in the good times, prepare for the more difficult times. A clear second reason why we're able to worship God with thanksgiving, because we can know him as a river. What's the third reason? It's not coming up at the moment, but it, it, it may be come up in a moment. In verses 8 to 12, be still and know him as a ruler. Now, the truth is, the last few verses are all to do with God's sovereignty. But when I noticed that the first two points happened to begin with R, I didn't plan it. I changed it um, to, to ruler. Um, but I'm clearly pretending to be a Baptist minister, which I'm equally clearly not. But ruler, sovereign, sort of same thing. It may be more memorable, I'm not sure. And it's in the last section of this chapter that this um, be still verse is found. God's sovereignty. What does it mean? I don't think that it simply means that we give up and don't care. At least I hope it doesn't mean that. As I said earlier, think about many of the Psalms full of complaint to God railing against God, honesty in thinking, and not simply accepting of everything. When things go wrong, that's when we need to trust God's sovereignty as a ruler. When things go wrong, we don't have to say, oh, 
praise the Lord that such and such has happened, that so and so has died, that someone's been diagnosed with um, incurable cancer, um, difficult job or, or marriage situation or whatever. No. God doesn't want zombies. He wants honest believers who are willing to trust him. But it's not easy again, is it? I don't know if I've mentioned this before, <clears throat> but one of my sisters lost her husband two years ago, two years ago last week, as it happened, in a tragic backdoor, back garden accident. I'd be blowed if I know what God was up to. Clearly, nobody in our family thought that this was right. We certainly didn't say, oh, praise the Lord, we're so happy that he'd never met his latest granddaughter born the previous week. And to make matters worse, he worked for the open-air mission. So here was a man witnessing on the streets of Birmingham and the Midlands, being a far better Christian witness than I will ever be, suddenly taken away from us. Devastating. God wants honest believers, not not automatons. That's why in a few minutes at the end of the service we'll be ending by singing Blessed Be Your Name because it talks about God being with us in the good times but it also talks about God being with us on the road marked with suffering. Sometimes I suggest we need to worship God with thanksgiving through clenched teeth. If, though, as believers, we do acknowledge that God is ruler, God is is sovereign, then it begins to help to put things into context. Just think about some of the uncertainties of the last few years. Brexit, Ukraine, political issues, cost of living, um, fuel prices, and many more. Then think about our lives. Have there been difficult times in your life or your family's life? difficult employment issues or housing issues, health, health problems. Many of these things will have been outside of our control. But God, in ways I don't understand, is still ruler and sovereign. But, I hear you say, how can God still be in control when so much bad has happened? And it's a fair question and it's tackled head-on in these final verses. And these final verses refer to desolations and wars. For my mind, things couldn't get much worse, really. But it's here, in the middle of this, that we find our key verse, the Be Still verse. It's not in a calm monastery. In ways that I don't understand, God is somehow still sovereign in everything. And if, as Christians, we believe this, then this is the final reason why we can give thanks to God. And the whole point is, we're not alone. We're not alone. We can't do it by ourselves. In fact, we don't need to. The psalm ends, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We need God's help. The third reason why we can worship God with thanksgiving, because he is the sovereign, he is the ruler. So, where does that leave us? I've tried to show how worshipping God with thanksgiving is nothing to do with the absence of danger, but all to do with being in the presence of God. 
Do I get it right all the time? Absolutely not. No way. God never promised us the absence of trouble, but rather promised to be with us in the middle of trouble. And what have we covered? Well, we've looked at the context of, of Psalm 46, noting that the Christian life is nothing to do with a peaceful retreat from the world, but rather is knowing that God is God in the middle of trouble. And what were the three ways, based on Psalm 46, that we can worship God with thanksgiving? We've reminded ourselves that God is a refuge and he reminds and he watches over us wherever we are. Refuges are good, especially if God is our refuge. God is also like a river. And we've learned the significance of that verse 4, a wonderful verse I, I now discover, and Hezekiah's tunnel. He built the tunnel in a time of peace. And so should we try to establish good Christian foundations when life is routine, so that we are better prepared for the more difficult times. And we've seen thirdly that God is our our sovereign, our ruler. And this is good news, as it means that God is with us. We're not alone. Three clear reasons why we can worship God, based on Psalm 46, with thanksgiving. I want to end a bit differently this morning. I was going to suggest that we have a few minutes complete silence as we uh, try to remember the truths contained in this psalm but if you're anything like me I find my mind wandering rather easily and I don't think that being still is necessarily the same as being silent. So I'm going to play a three minute YouTube uh, video of Helen Restenra singing one of my favourite um, Maori songs. You might recognise it. It's cool. Now, again, I'm not really, really too sure how to pronounce it. Pokerakare uh, Ana. Again, hopefully someone will tell me. Right. When translated, it's all about finding calmness and tranquility in the middle of a stressful and agitated situation. It may help to close your eyes, but you don't have to. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Over to you, Keith.